0: Three, two, one. Let's go.
1: The Iraq War famously is a result of lies. Wars in Somalia are a result of lies. The Second World War and the German invasion of Poland was a result of carefully constructed lies. That is war by media. Let us ask ourselves of the complicit media, which is the majority of the mainstream press, what is the average death count attributed to each
2: journalist?
0: Hey, that was Julian Assange. That's a speech from like six or seven years ago that I, I've been looking for. And uh, someone by the name of Marie uh, posted it on Twitter today. So I was able to grab a piece of it. Um, this is Randy Credico. This is Randy Credico Live on the Fly with our continuous series, Assange Countdown to Freedom. This is our ninth one this year. This is our fourth year, uh, I swear, I thought. We wouldn't have to be doing this anymore, but we will continue. I just, uh, just got back from London yesterday. Um, I don't want to say I had a great time, but I was around some wonderful people and all of them who witnessed this, uh, this charade uh, of, a, um, of a hearing uh, for his extradition in uh, Balmors prison. Uh, in, in the courtroom adjoining it, uh, are on this show. Uh, I was with them for three of the days, and they stayed an extra day. And it was tough leaving. It was tough leaving uh, that, that that place because I got to go, and Julian was in this horrible state. We'll be talking to everyone who witnessed what happened uh, in, in those uh, dreadful four days. But uh, there was a lot of solidarity, a lot of good things. And let me just say this is um, – Countdown to Freedom, Assange, and uh, in collaboration with Covert Action Magazine. We have a lot on our plate. We have uh, the great Craig Murray. We have Julian's father, John Shipton. We have Fidel uh, Navarez. We have um, uh, Savim uh, da- Dardalin and uh, Angela Richter. So our plate is full. We're going to come right back uh, with Craig Murray in just um, one minute after I play uh, our Craig Murray music. <music> played that tune in a couple of years for Craig Murray. Craig Murray has uh, has done this show many times and has been one of the most outspoken and most eloquent uh, defenders of Julian Assange. I had the pleasure of being in his company uh, the last four days, uh, actually five days beginning Saturday in London. and uh, he delivered a powerful speech at the rally over there um, uh, from Australia House down to, I think the Parliament building. At any rate, uh, without further ado, uh, the great Craig Murray now joins us from London. Hi, Craig.
3: Uh, Hello again, Andy.
0: It's great to have you back on. Um, Well, Craig, I left yesterday. You stayed the extra day. Um, After looking at what happened this week, Craig, uh, what is your, uh, you know, your assessment uh, of, the, uh, of that, whatever you want to call it, uh, hearing that we both witnessed?
3: Um, well, it's extraordinary because it's a, it's a show trial, and it's held in the most dreadful circumstances. It's held in a, inside the precincts of a, of a maximum security prison uh, with almost no public admission. Uh, as you know, you and I and others, we had to queue up at 6 a.m. to try to get one of the 16 public seats in the court. Um, it, well, we kept queuing the and rain, we had a series of queues, series of searches, series of locked doors, uh, everything done to keep the public from seeing what's happening. Um, it really is just appalling. And it's also appalling that the media covered it. I mean, the government made an opening prosecution statement that was addressed to the media, not really to the judge or to the court saying that Assange was merely a common criminal and a mm. load of other such nonsense. That was handed as a press release to the to the mainstream media, who all went away and simply cut and paste bits of that and published it. And then they left. They didn't stay for the next three and a half days of arguments where the defense got to reply and, and various things were done. So, that
0: was... Um, that was the first day, Craig. That was the very first day. I remember they even pointed to the press. They said, uh, we hope the press takes notice of this. And then they said, we didn't charge him. Uh, he's not being charged with um, revealing the um, collateral damage video, right? As if that was some kind of sop, that uh, was something else uh, that uh, created this. And that was the first day. Uh, and that was it. That was it. I mean, they, they just like, like – you know, high-tailed out of there.
3: Yeah, no, it was, I mean, they, the media have no interest in, in honest reporting uh, on it. And what they all did report was that Assange um, uh, fully put lives at risk by publishing uh, uh, names of sources in unredacted cables. Uh, the next day, of course, the defense explained at very great length that, the opposite of what WikiLeaks did, they went for a massive system that took over a year of, of redacting cables before they were released. But what happened was that two journalists from the Guardian newspaper, Luke Harding and David Lee, published the code word to the unredacted cables in the book. As soon as um, Julian and WikiLeaks found out that the unredacted cables were likely to be released, they got on to the U.S. government. They warned uh, the White House. They warned the State Department. They warned the American embassy in London. Look, these are about to be released unredacted. Some fool has released them. You, 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 you've got to take measures for any protection of sources that is necessary. So it was a knowing lie by the American government to claim that... Julian Assange is only wanted because he put those sources at risk. That's the sole reason. But what's even worse is the entire mainstream media published that lie because that was the point which the government twice said in its opening speech we want the media to know this. He's only being published for endangering sources. He's only being prosecuted for endangering sources, not for publishing about war crimes. Sure. Um, that was carried in the entire mainstream media, every newspaper, every television channel. The next day when that was proved to be palpably false and untrue, not a single newspaper or television channel covered that.
0: Were you monitoring the newspapers and in, in the media like at night? Or did you buy a newspaper, just look at them online like The Guardian and, and other uh, newspapers?
3: Yeah, I, I just look at them online uh, and I, I was following quite, quite closely, yeah.
0: What was their motivation? Why wouldn't they come back And Are they in the tank themselves? Do they want Julian to be extradited? I think that I'm,
3: I mean you know there there isn't really a, an effective media anymore. Investigative journalism is is dead. There wasn't anybody from the media uh, peasant capable of doing more than cutting and pasting a government press release. That's about their intellectual level. And of course, the media is now concentrated in the hands of a tiny number, an ever shrinking number of billionaire proprietors. Uh, and they just support neocon foreign policy. They hate WikiLeaks. You know, WikiLeaks expose us how the government works, and, and these are people who own the government. So they hate they hate WikiLeaks. They hate freedom. They hate troops getting out. Uh, so they're delighted to see a brand sold and written.
0: Well, you've been reporting on it every single day, and I'm not going to have you go into the minutiae of it all, but uh, that was the first day. And the second day, when they revealed that it was The Guardian that actually put the lives in danger, and Assange and WikiLeaks tried to prevent it. They forewarned. They made emergency calls after that was released from a, from a book that was published like Months earlier, six or seven months earlier, somebody got the codes and uh, released uh, released the uh, the information. It was the Guardian. And then, ironically, Luke Harding and the Guardian have been the most uh, uh, antithetical uh, to uh, Assange, wouldn't you say?
3: Yeah, well, of course, uh, you know, the Guardian <laughs> releasing the codes um, led to a huge bust-up between the Guardian and the six, And the Guardian then, to that moment on... Um, Spent all its time attacking uh, the in order to divert attention from what had happened. Luke of course, has been the foremost British component of Russiagate. You know, Luke is up there with Christopher Steele, manufactured to of lies, and possibly of lies. Luke wrote the famous uh, double page, huge cardio story, and I thought he visited fans in the agency. It uh, was completely not true, absolute lie, uh, published as a huge page splash when we were basically desperate to stand, stand up with Russiagate nonsense.
0: I, I understand that uh, seems to be a, a major theme over here. There was absolutely no coverage here, not even on the first day. It's like it didn't even exist. Uh, I mean, there are other issues, but this, this is a, a major, major, major international case. Uh, and I think everybody should be uh, quite concerned in the media. Uh, don't they? Don't they understand that uh, they could be next uh, if, if Assange is extradited? That uh, it's not. It's the first domino to fall. Don't they see that?
3: Well, I think they don't see it because they've no intention of any pub- ever publishing any government secrets. <laughs> They're not investigative journalists. A, this is something we have to get our heads around in a sense, because you know. Uh, what the most striking moment on on day two um, was when, or even in the afternoon, the prosecutor had to admit that the statutes he was quoting um, said that any journalist who published any government secret, however he obtained that secret, and even if that secret did no one any harm, any journalist and any publication who published any government secret would be liable for an imprisonment wow. uh, uh, under the interpretation of law which the U.S. government are pushing in this extradition case. Well, you, that should terrify the media.
0: Yeah, it sh- it should. And I, I think, and I've spoken to a few here, I have some friends in mainstream media here, but of course they're only interested in me talking about Roger Stone. Uh, but I was trying to convince them that they should... Uh, Uh, be on the ball on this one you know um, you we saw him every day come in and out of this as if he was Hannibal Lecter or something behind a plexiglass we were behind a plexiglass I've seen um, uh, you and I saw him from that plexiglass and then the other day there was some photo that uh, that emerged uh, that somebody took uh, on the first day uh, and so do you think that that was uh, accurate representation? Do you think that the media can look at that and see that he is not in good shape?
3: Yeah. I, I mean, he was obviously not in good physical or mental, uh, shape. And, um, you know, the, the fact what, what it does show is that, you know, he's behind this huge, it's not plexiglass; it's It's bulletproof glass, which is much thicker and tougher and, and more, um, uh, more substantial. Um, and, uh, you no, know, he's cut off Tom. He can't take part in the proceedings. He can't consult with his counsel. Uh, and he's being kept in the kind of circumstances in which you would keep an extremely violent terrorist or war criminal.
0: well, i I've about uh,
3: know, how he's being treated.
0: Well, I've seen, you know, like in 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 egypt, they they put people around him up, put them in a cage when they're on trial. It was almost as close to that than a, than a regular trial. I mean, just seeing him in the back of the room. And then yesterday, something came up about him trying to sit with his attorneys. And uh, tell us about that.
3: Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, an interesting thing is that his, um, his lawyer made an application for him to be able to sit with his attorney And um, he pointed out that the European Court of Human Rights at Strasbourg had made a judgment against Russia. In a Russian case, because Russia is a member of the European Convention on Human Rights, in a Russian case, um, the accused had been placed in a bulletproof glass box positioned almost exactly like Julian is in. You know, the description of the court was almost precisely the same, no significant difference. And the European Court of Human Rights, ruled that this meant it was an unfair trial. Because um, he wasn't able to communicate with his attorneys, as Julian is not able to communicate with his attorneys, they stopped him passing notes to his attorneys. He, he, he's not able. Uh, you know, the, the glass box is across a passageway, and then a wooden wall before you have the first seat of his attorneys. So the only way he can talk to them is to try to shout through a chink in the a, a chink slit that's left in the um, in the glass. Um, but then, everything he says to his attorneys is overheard by the private company security officers who are guarding him in the dock. Well, those, are no
0: um, those are private security? Those are private security officers?
3: Yeah, yes, yeah. The judge actually initially said uh, group four, that they were a private security uh, and, uh, uh, you know, those people couldn't everything he says to his lawyer. He, when he is able to communicate to his lawyer, which is a good
0: thing. well, I, I saw I saw Balthasar Garzón, one of his attorneys, who was sitting the close right. by, built to be illegal. Well, I saw Balthasar Garzón, uh, you know, cupping his hand over his ear, trying to hear what Julian Assange was trying to say. It, I mean, it was it was such a. Um, uh, a disaster for you know the circumstances if, if trying to mount a, a defense there. Uh, and what about the judge? This judge, it kind of reminded me. I told someone the other day of the judge in the Jeremy Thorpe case. You know, I mean, totally ruling with the prosecution.
3: Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just simply an appalling, Judge. Um, it's absolutely a show trial, and, and the woman made an attempt, whatsoever, to hide her bias. On the final day when the um, uh, defense and the prosecution uh, finalized their arguments on the applicability of treaties and, uh, and points of law, um, the defense were interrupted by the judge 17 times. They spoke for about an hour. The judge interrupted them in that hour 17 times, totally interrupting their arguments. And disrupted them with a stream of hostile points and quibbles. When the prosecution spoke in the same hour, the judge interrupted them once.
0: It it was almost like she was Uh, serving. uh, Yes.
3: The judge was acting as the prosecution most of the time. You didn't actually need a prosecution. I'm The the judge. Uh, This judge is a complete and utter disgrace.
0: Right. I, I don't know her background, but, you know, it seems like she was serving tea and biscuits to the prosecution. I want to ask you the three gentlemen that were sitting behind uh, the, uh, the Queen's uh, prosecutors, uh, directly behind. There were three gentlemen uh, that you saw floating around. Who were they, Craig?
3: Yeah, they were the um, uh, lawyers from the American State Department who were directing the, uh, uh, the prosecution. Um, I presume they were all lawyers. Some of them were certainly Justice Department. Whether the CIA had one, one of them was CIA, I don't know. But I should say, I mean, you made an interesting point about you don't know the judge's background. Nobody knows uh, the judge's background. If you uh, you know Google the Assange case online, you'll you'll get the name of a judge, Vanessa Bereza. Then see what you can discover about her. She's the only judge in the world, I think, who has no picture at all, not a single photo anywhere on the internet, um, and you can't find where she graduated, you can't find where she was at school, you can't... All the normal internet traces that a human being, every human being in the modern world in a developed country, all the normal traces you leave in your life are not there for her. She's uh, she's an invisible woman. A absolutely fascinating thing to try. Everyone listening should try it. <laughs> Go I... and Google the name of the Judge Amir case, Vanessa Beretta. Then go online and see what you can find. Try and find a photo of her. Try and find where where she qualified. I listen. Uh, Fascinating, (laughs) but judge has no back history.
0: Well, it's it's easier for a blind man to uh, solve a Rubik's cube than to find that because I tried myself. I've tried repeatedly uh, to find a photo to find. That's the first time I saw her for the very first time for those uh, three days. And I looked around for, um, you know, some kind of a footprint, but there was nothing there. Now, you have to ask yourself, how did she get that case? Yeah.
3: No, you do. I mean, she is. She's apparently one of the extradition magistrates at Westminster Court. Whether all the others, are, you know, are quite so prepared to be so entirely biased is a, another question. But, uh, but no, uh, it, it's absolutely fascinating. It, it was like being at one of Joseph Stalin's show trials. That's the only thing I can say. It really was. I, I, I don't think there's any significant difference in the conduct uh, between this and one of Joseph Stalin's
0: show trials. So they're just going through the motions to make it look like he's getting uh, all the uh, you know the legal apparatus that uh, that's due to a suspect, and uh, they'll just go through the motions, and it's already preset. I mean, this woman's definitely going to say, "All right," and then there'll be there'll be an appeal, and this will last for three years. And Julian Assange, in the meantime, will be in that dreadful, dank, squalid prison there—that uh, is something out of the like 13th century, you know. And and it, I can only imagine that his health will not improve.
3: I mean, his health is a matter of extreme concern. He looks thin. He's He's not well. He's been, you know, he's been for pretty year, well a year uh, in solitary confinement, um, following a, a year in the Ecuadorian embassy since the government changed in Ecuador and they started to change uh, the Ecuadorian embassy into a prison for him. Um, uh, after the U.S. government bought off the government of Ecuador. You know, really terrible condition. Yes. So, uh, you, you know, his, his mental and physical health are both extremely terrible. Yes. If you ask my, my prognosis, it looks to me, I've got no doubt this, this judge has no interest in doing anything whatsoever except extraditing him. She'll do what, you know, what she's told to do by her political masters. Um, I do think there's a very good chance we would win on appeal at the High Court, because we, those judges are a bit more independent, and the legal process here has been absolutely sick, disgusting it, to any people. It,
0: it, it's a real embarrassment. But it's an embarrassment. That, that
3: could take two years. Yes. That and, could take two years to get to appeal at the High Court, and I'm not certain Julian would survive two more years. in prison.
0: Yeah, Well, if you ask Nils Melzer, he won't. Uh, and to Craig, we got two minutes left here. Um, what what can you leave us with here, Craig? Uh, just some final thoughts. I know craigmurray.org.uk, you can read all of your articles that you wrote this week. They're brilliant. Um, but um, just some final thoughts here, Craig, because we got to get uh, John uh, Shipton on after you, another fine individual, Julian's father.
3: Yeah, no, but I'm but, um, I mean, it's, very important, I think, if people can go to my website, craigmarry.org.uk and read my daily reports Dear. of exactly what happened to the case, including an exposition of all the legal arguments. People need to campaign. You need to contact your elected representatives. Everyone needs to contact their elected representatives. Write them letters, explain, you know, but you don't want this abuse. You don't want publishers jailed for simply exposing war crimes and, and, and telling the truth. We, we all need to get more active and, and be, you know, even the act of mobilization is Julian really having a good effect yeah. on society. So, do a bit there. Well, thank you. One, one final thing. Yes. When, when, you, um, when you speak to John Shipton, tell him, I, uh, tell him to message me if he's free to a drink disease.
0: Okay, I certainly will tell him that. Rather be the first thing I say, all right? To message you and uh, <laughs> okay, get together right, yeah. tonight. Thank you very much, Craig, and thank you for all the great work that you've done on just about everything in life and. Specifically now with Julian Assange, you've been a godsend. Craig Murray, thank you, Craig. We'll be right thank back.
3: You, and thank you for coming and witnessing here here in London. Thank you.
0: Okay, Craig. Uh, we'll be right back with Julian's father, uh, John Shipton, in just one minute.
4: When the shop bites with his deep oh dear he has a better phone. Scarlet billows start to spread fancy gloves though like he did so there's not a trace of red oh on the sidewalk Sunday morning lies a body oozing life someone sneaking and the gun is that someone met tonight yes. from a tugboat by the river, baby. a cement bag Trooping down, and the cement spur, the weight dear that you make.
0: Okay, that was Louis Armstrong, Mac the Knife. I uh, had a great opportunity to watch many times at my father's nightclub, the Royal Tahitian in Southern California back in the 60s. Um, well, that was Craig Murray, and uh, Craig Murray said, do me a favor, have John Chipton call him uh, after this, uh, after this uh, interview. Uh, because he'd like to hook up with him. John Shipton is the father of Julian Assange, and I had the great pleasure of spending three days in his company. John, thank you for joining us from London. It, it's a pleasure, Randy. Thank you. Thank you for, for all that you have done on behalf of your son. You've been in London now, John, for what, about six months now?
1: Yeah, going on six months uh, in and out of London into Europe.
0: And, and so... You first got involved in this directly. You, I, I, I don't know if you were living in, in Australia, but you first got involved in this. What compelled you to go, John?
1: Oh, you know, when, when, uh, when your child is impressed, uh, uh, you get a bit sort of uh, full of the fighting spirit. So you, you, join, you join in as, as vigorously as you can. Well, and progressively, because uh, you've got to work out what what's doing.
0: It it must uh, be very difficult for you. Uh, I was sitting in that gallery to see your son, um, you know, being railroaded, A, and to be, um, you know, undergoing these horrible conditions uh, of that uh, prison and just the whole process. It must be really difficult uh, as his father.
1: Randy, the... the The process seems to be a fraud upon the court because the uh, Department of Justice has offered no uh, evidence whatsoever, just a few assertions. They seem to have found a bit of a loophole in the treaty arrangements between the United States and the United Kingdom, which they're trying to drag uh, uh, Julian through. Um, As for his treatment, it's just appalling. he must sit. just a little bit of background. Julian hasn't been with uh, his friends now for two years. It's been a year, just about a year in uh, Belmarsh, and for the last year of his asylum, the the Ecuadorian limited uh, visits to just a few lawyers and me, really. Um, So to be... uh, continue to be detached uh, deliberately by the judges uh, just uh, sadism, really just nothing more than that because the judge has the opportunity to alter those conditions uh, at, at the stroke of a
4: pen.
0: Well the judge seemed to be very pro-prosecution. She wasn't uh, uh, you know not even pretending to be cognizant or concerned about the rights. And the physical uh, situation for uh, your son Julian.
1: Oh, she each afternoon at about three thirty, usually the court rises at four. Um, the the judge would inquire as to Julian's well being uh, uh, and the discomfort actually brought about by her rulings and her behaviour. So it, it's a uh, a sort of bizarre circumstance where the judge makes a decision which increases Julian's discomfort, uh, and then uh, and towards the end of the day asks whether her her actions have been successful in causing him discomfort. Well, it's I quite...
0: I found it really. Uh, you were sitting there uh, when that revelation came by one of his attorneys uh, that uh, he had been handcuffed on the first day, I think it was the first day, afterwards 11 times and strip searched five times.
1: Yeah, and, and put in five different holding cells and then his court papers, dispossessed of his court papers. It's, it, you know, um, that intimidation. Julian's a popular prisoner. You might have heard while you were there that the reason why his conditions of imprisonment were changed, uh, there was a three... Petitions uh, put to the governor by the prisons.
0: I, that, that, um, yes, that, that was remarkable. Uh, and did you d- did you see him in Belmarsh uh, over the last six months? Did you visit him?
1: Yeah, yes, uh, a, a good few times. Yeah, I, I visit uh, uh, weekly. Um, tomorrow I see Julian, and Sunday so. Um, trying to catch up with the visits uh, this weekend.
0: Well, it's just it's just um, appalling what what is going on. I last visited him in in November 2017, and uh, just to see, I mean, he's pale. Uh, he, he just seems a lot weaker, and it must be so difficult for you. But you've been you've been such a godsend to this. International movement to uh, to uh, free your son, along with Nils Melzer. The two of you just like like comets, just out of nowhere, have put a lot of energy. Could you feel that energy uh, th- this last week in in London uh, with the demonstrations and the people that showed support uh, at Balmores? Oh, they're wonderful
1: people. Wonderful people. They came busloads from France, and there's people from all over Europe. Uh, and local people. There's ten tents. It's freezing here, as you remember. Yes. It's snowing on the day you left. There's, a, there's you know a foul winds. It's not the the prison's built on an old marsh. It's dead flat, and the wind uh, races across it. So there's uh, ten tents, uh, and uh, people sleeping outside. Um, there's always say, a minimum of thirty people when we go in. Uh, on the first day, there were a couple of hundred people outside, well, and warmly embrace all of us supporters.
0: Well, you know, it's it's so far away from from London. Uh, it's way out there. It's at the end of the end of the earth. You know, it took so long to get to that spot, and then you had to find a hotel room, and then well, these people camped outside, and then you had to go through, like you said, this cold marsh. And you got to wait in line in the morning. So they put it so far away. If it had been in somewhere in in uh, in London, uh, there would have been triple the amount of people. How how uh, important are the people that show up at these demonstrations? Not just there, John, but worldwide. And what is your um, what what is your um, your feelings towards them and your message uh, to them?
1: Well, you know they're wonderful people uh, and. I, will, we, you, and I, and the other uh, supporters who can get their words out to the public, we walk. We are held up on their shoulders. On Wednesday in Germany, there was thirty-five cities uh, held vigils for Julian. On the same, at the same time, every city in Australia, uh, in the United States, vigils are held or protests are. France, Spain uh, even in Stockholm so there's a, a, a yesterday there was a, a man, they call them manifestation a manifestation in, in uh, Stockholm all over the world Oslo um, if, uh, the support uh, that they give holds us high and increases the reach of our voice so you and I and Nils uh, progressively managed to get the message across that this is the crime of the century. It really is, John.
0: This is the crime. This is... He is the most uh, persecuted uh, political uh, figure on... A political prisoner on the face of the planet. There's absolutely no question about that. And uh, your sense is, is that the the government uh, of the U.K. has basically been bootlicking uh, the U.S. government's uh, prosecutors and, and uh, legal apparatus here. Um, and so what, why, why are they doing this? Why, what, what is your feeling? Why is the British government lowering, debasing itself by being complicit with the U.S. government?
1: Uh, it's got me beat. It, it uh, not not. It won't bring them any benefit, as you know. London is a, a centre, a financial centre, and writes a trillion dollars worth of contracts each year, and has to be seen to have a, a judiciary which is unbiased and can make fair uh, judgments about uh, disputes, financial disputes. Well, this. Uh, entire matter over the last 10 years, along with a couple of other scandalous cases, is brought bringing uh, to the administration of law in the United Kingdom into disrepute, the same way it brought poor Sweden into complete disrepute. And now we see Sweden, whereas once it was a model society 30 years ago, now we see it as a country that has a disreputable uh, law administration and sells junk furniture. That's about the end of it. Well, that's they just bring.
0: That that's true, and, and you know, I this is such bad PR for for the uh, British government. I am encouraged that um, that Jeremy Corbyn uh, did make that speech on the uh, in the House of Commons, and that the Queen. Wh- what did you make of the Queen uh, saying that this is a political <laughs> matter?
1: Oh, I think that it was a first-class intercession. By the head of government here. Uh, also, uh, after Jeremy Corbyn, uh, leader of the opposition, made his speech in Parliament uh, in Prime Minister's question time, Prime Minister Johnson's reply was neutral towards su- supportive in the sense that he questioned the quality of the, the extradition treaty between the United States and the United Kingdom. So so
0: what uh what from here uh you know the, the Brits at this point are behind the eight ball uh there's got to be a breaking point for them and I think that's through people like yourself Nils Melzer all of the attention that it's getting the people protesting uh the the the, the torture report all of this stuff is is beginning to reach a crescendo and I think I think that uh, eventually they're going to have to fold their cards. That's my opinion. Uh, what is yours?
1: Uh, yeah, the, I have the same, but it'll require a bit more work from, you, you know, you and I and Nils and all of the other spokesperson. Uh, yesterday, um I think it was the day before yesterday, the Austrian parliament voted in support of Julian. So now it's moved, and the uh, canton of Geneva voted in support of Julian. But this is the parliaments, uh acting in support. The The Council of Europe voted in support of Julian. But right. We now need to move from parliamentary support to government support. Right. We
0: got we got the uh, a German MP coming on after you uh, and after Fidel Navarez and um, uh, I know that the German Parliament is moving in the right direction. Uh, we need to get the U.S. Uh, Congress to move in the right direction and certainly the House of Commons to be a little more vocal. But I, you know, it's a process here. I know it's frustrating for you, but uh, any uh, last words uh, you can say to the people out there that are listening to this program, John?
1: Uh, uh, that, uh, well, just to repeat myself a little bit, That's that good. We, we stand on their shoulders and the, 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 to the extent that the, our voice, uh carries. It carries only because they hold us up. That's all. all
0: right. I know you're, a, I, you're... Yes, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: I just want to uh, give my heartfelt thanks and uh, uh, say that uh, our strength is unflagging. We will. I feel we will bring Julian home uh, to see his family and begin again the ordinary things of life which sustain
0: us. Well, I will be continuing this show until he's out of there, and uh, we we um, have uh, a lot of uh, people that are uh, being, uh, you know, who are out there who want to be part of uh, not just this show but all sorts of shows. There, there are a lot of people. This is growing, and uh, all I can say is keep up the great work. You, you really uh, were very impressive. And we're going to play—hold well, on for a second, because we're going to play—we're going to bring back Felix uh, Navarez, and this, our Fidel Navarez. And uh, as you and I were talking the other day, you like jazz and you like uh, classical music. So I figured I'd throw a little bit of Bach uh, to take you out. And don't forget to call Craig Murray. He's looking for you. Well, I'll send I, him a you. All right.
1: Thank you. Credit to you, Randy. Good credit to you.
0: Good on you, John. You're a great man. And your son, your son. Let me just ask you one last question because I wanted to ask yes, you this. of course. You must be proud of your son's great work and his great commitment to social justice uh-huh. and economic justice, racial justice, and ending wars.
1: Yeah, that's tremendous. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, I am. I am quietly and strongly. Yes. Proud. I don't. I don't go around blowing the horn on it. But yes, you're
0: correct. Yeah, he would make any. Father, proud. Thank you uh, very much, uh, John Shipton, and uh, continued um, continued success in mobilizing uh, the uh, the support for Julian. You're doing a brilliant job, John Shipton. Thank you, and we'll uh, play him out with Little Bach. All right. <laughs> Okay, that was uh, Bach and that was his second orchestral suite. John Shipton and I were talking about classical music and so I figured I I had a reason to play my favorite piece of classical music, which is that one by Bach. Um, so Fidel Navarez, what a great guy. He's the uh, former counsel of Ecuador in London and uh, diplomat in the uh, government of um, Rafael Correa. Rafael Correa was the prior um, uh, president before Lenin Moreno took over uh, late in uh, 2017 and made those monstrous changes in uh, Julian's uh, conditions and uh, his political situation. Uh, Rafael uh, Correa was a wonderful person to work for, wasn't he, Fidel?
5: Hi, Randy. Uh, thank you very much for having me in your show. Uh, yes, answered, answering to your question, uh, I was very proud to be part of Korea's government and to be his consul in the UK. Uh, well, I, I was uh, working for the embassy for nearly eight years.
0: Wow. Wow, eight years! I I read this let I, in the book in defense of Assange. I twice I read this very compelling, moving story. You were the one that opened the door for Julian Assange in June, 2012. What was that like, Fidel?
5: <laughs> well, yes, um, I have that privilege um, to contact Julian. That our relationship uh, uh, got back uh, to 2011, when my country was basically the only country to request WikiLeaks to release all diplomatic tables relating to to us to Ecuador.
0: Wait a second, you uh, were the you guys actually asked WikiLeaks to release—that's unheard of for uh, a nation to ask WikiLeaks to release everything.
5: Yes, yes. I mean the common, the common denominator was that the uh, countries did not want to uh, cables to be public uh, because um, it embarrassed many governments, of course. Uh, but at the time, WikiLeaks had deals with uh, uh, certain media in each country they basically choose one or two uh, in this case what they were newspapers um, i guess um with the reasoning that the local journalists will know better which stories are more interesting and they will contextualize better the stories but in fact, what what's happening in Ecuador is that the, the, the newspapers were cherry-picking the cables and they were choosing only the ones who were mm-hmm. quite uh, against the government. So that's why we contacted Wikileaks and said, listen, this, this is about transparency. We want uh, everything, absolutely everything, to be on the public domain. And uh, can you do that? Uh, and yes, Wikileaks did it soon after they, they released all, all, all cables related to Ecuador. Uh, and a year later, Julian approached us. I, I knew him uh, from 2011 to 2012. He approached us and request for asylum for protection. And uh, the day he arrived, of course, I was there to open the door for him and close the door after he was safe inside our premises yes
0: but that that was that was back in June of 2012 2012 June 2 2012 and and it wasn't easy i mean uh, he comes in there and the brits you describe this in this uh, six page essay in in defense of assange tell what what it was like the, that that neighborhood and and the Brits uh, the British metro, metropolitan police possibly entering give us give us uh, you know a little color on that.
5: Oh, well, yes, um, the embassy is very very small space, two hundred meters max. Um, you don't get sunlight inside that uh, department really because the embassy is surrounded by quite high buildings. And in London, you don't get much sun anyway. Right. Um, and the, the, the embassy was immediately surrounded by British uh, police uh, two months later when Ecuador officially granted the asylum, because the, Ecuador took two months to study the case, to see if there are real grounds for Julian to deserve political asylum. In that period, we approach every nation involved. We approach the United States. We approach Sweden. We approach the Brits, and we also approach Australia, trying to to to, to see um, why Julian is, is left on his own and uh, and needs protection. And our assessment was that it was obvious that that man needed to be protected. Uh, So two months after he arrived, we granted the asylum officially, and the Brits, they got leaked, I guess, uh, that the asylum was going to be granted. They threatened the embassy with storming it and basically... Uh, taking Julian from inside
0: the embassy, even though that would be a they violation, that would be a violation of international law.
5: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, they threatened uh, us by, by a written note, official written note, saying that the domestic law will allow, will allow them to come into the embassy if we don't solve the matter uh, of Julian Assange soon. Um, and they also, um, threat us with, uh, enormous, enormous, uh, contingent, contingent of, uh, British police, uh, surrounding the embassy, closing the street through the night. I'm talking about 50, 60 policemen for a small apartment, armed policemen. Uh, it was a real threat. But as you say, that will be in violation of the international legislation on diplomatic immunities, and that will be a big mistake because they will put at risk every single embassy around the world.
0: They, they certainly wouldn't do that. To,
5: they wouldn't British do embassy.
0: Yes, they wouldn't do that to to the French or uh, to the Italians or or the United States embassy.
5: Well, yes, I, I <laughs> that's a good that's a good comment. I would like to see them threat in Germany or France or, um, yeah, uh, richer nation.
0: Well, let me ask you this. Uh, So what was it like? It must have been very tense uh, back then. those first uh, few months uh, of the summer of uh, 2012 uh, for you and and for Julian. What was that like?
5: It was tense. Yeah, it was tense. Listen, at the beginning... We did not have any security at the embassy. We did not have a security company guarding the embassy. We didn't need that. But with Julian inside, uh, it it was obvious that he could not stay on his own at the embassy. So I stayed with him for nearly two months, uh, full time. So we spent together those two months in that embassy. Uh, The asylum was granted. And we we got a, a security company to protect the embassy. <laughs> that was the the aim, of course.
0: Well, you guys were in uh, real fear. So
5: how the embassy protect us.
0: So you were in real fear that, that it might happen uh, at, at that point in time. Um, and you got to know Julian obviously very well. You've been a a real super advocate uh, for justice for Julian. Uh, you've been there ever since you left. Uh, the embassy. So after that, uh, you, you write in this essay about how, um, uh, dedicated Julian was, uh, to his work. He continued like, uh, he wasn't even in there, right? He just continued to, to try to maintain a, uh, a positive uh, mindset and, uh, continue to pump out great work.
5: Sure. Sure. I mean, um, a political athlete that does, does not lose any rights so Julian obviously uh, had the right to to work to have visitors to speak freely and, and, and publicly so um, he kept working he kept running uh, with the limitations of course logistical limitations but he was working full-time yeah either either Uh, preparing publications with his team, and preparing his um, defense with his lawyers, receiving visitors from all over the world, from all over the world, artists, intellectuals, activists, politicians, uh, from all over the world, to express solidarity uh, to him and to the country that was protecting him. and I think that helped a lot Julian to cope with the hardship uh, of of the situation because he kept busy all all the time, and he was working with different time zones all the time. He, you know, uh, it was it was uh, quite common to see him working through the night because he was giving a, a conference or an interview to Australia or some. To South America, different time zones. Uh, he was a workaholic, as,
0: as you, yes, as you
5: say. Uh, I never, I don't, I don't remember any single instance of him being bored or without knowing what to do. Right, you know, it's you say, have very busy schedule.
0: You, you say in this uh, in this essay that. Um, uh, that, um, that he had good relations throughout those first six years with the uh, diplomatic uh, staff and, of course, uh, with yourself and other officials. Uh, t- tell us about that.
5: Oh, yes. Yes. Listen, we, our country was protecting him, so it was our duty to make him feel welcome and he was very reciprocal. I mean, he was very respectful of us. He was very careful not to interfere with uh, with embassy uh, routine and embassy work. Um, but obviously, it was it, it was a a crowded situation there because the embassy staff uh, is based more pl- uh, place, and the embassy also have visitors, also have has activities that did not stop because Julian was there. Um but when you are there for so long, Julian spent there something like two thousand and five hundred days and nights. And he was the only one who could not go out home at the end of the day or yeah. at the weekends. Yes that was so um yeah we share many many occasions, uh, social occasions with him, birthdays, welcoming new colleagues came in to uh, join the embassy of farewells because people finish uh, the, the term, um, many, and Julian once was joining, joining us all the time. Um, yeah, he, he, during the six first years under Rafael Correa government, our duty was to protect him and the relationship was very respectful
0: yes it That's says that he was not arrogant in spite of what uh, some of these reports coming out by Linda Moreno's uh, henchman uh, it, it says he was very he was very grateful uh, to uh, your government and to the uh, embassy staff and, and I know including yourself you guys became very good friends uh, over those six years I gather
5: oh yes 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 close close relationships uh everybody's different of course one some some of us became closer to him, some of us maybe not that much but um but yeah, it was a respectful relationship for sure he was grateful and and he was protected, yeah, despite the limitations obviously it's it's different culture as well, you know uh despite the limitations and um if any isolated completely isolated incidents uh, occur which is uh, which is inevitable in, 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 in such conditions it was always with a with a security company and the security company was a private Spanish company uh, that, uh, is 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 known now, and and is under investigation. You
0: see, global the
5: espionage, Yes, exactly, exactly. So, so it was in the interest of that company to um, misrepresent the the well, what was happening inside that embassy, because they they used to write daily reports about about Julian and, and, and all his activities and there was in their interest to misrepresent that in order to uh, justify their employment.
0: So they weren't there to and protect him. It from a- they weren't there to protect him, they were there to smear him, this UC Global. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and, and when, 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 when were you aware that UC Global was doing uh, all of this stuff? Uh, all this undercover work with all of the video cameras and the microphones, even in the bathroom. When, when were you aware of that?
5: Well, um, we were always suspicious, especially Julian and myself. We were always suspicious of, 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 of the security company. We never felt comfortable. They were always very intrusive. And True to be said, the, the Ecuadorian embassy became the most surveilled place
0: on earth. Right, more than because Fort we Knox. Were surrounded
5: by, yeah, exactly. We were surrounded by by the British police uh, during the first three four years. Uh, I mean, uh, physical presence of police, bands, and police at the doors on the street. Uh, but then they replaced that for undercover uh, surveillance, yeah, undercover policemen. And we we knew we spotted uh, cameras in 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 in, in naval, naval buildings, uh, focusing on our embassy. Uh, we knew that there were long-range microphones trying to listen on us. So uh, and on top of that, the the security company installed CCTV cameras inside the embassy. Wow. There was always um, concern about them. But we didn't know, we didn't have any evidence that at some point, and uh, it, it, it needs to be um, it's under investigation, of course, in Spain.
0: David Morales. Uh, but
5: at some point, 2015, 2016, So in the last three years, they basically started to work. Apparently, they started to work for the Americans.
0: So the CIA uh, was paying. Uh, CIA was paying David Morales to intensify uh, the surveillance.
5: Well, that is what uh, needs to be proven. Uh, Everything aims in that direction. I mean, the whistleblowers coming from inside that company have provided the prosecutors in Spain huge amounts of evidence uh, in videos, in emails, in uh, basically hard, hard testimony that Aim in that direction I very much hope that that could be proven uh, but yes yes they, they, they the guy basically said that they they have uh, they are working now for the dark side oh,
0: I see well you know um, he, <laughs> it's amazing they must have take they must have video of you I mean they have video somebody told me they had video of me uh, falling asleep inside the conference room <laughs> And, and and I brought in. You, I brought. I brought a, video. Yes, I brought. Did you know this? I brought in a bottle of. Uh uh, in 2017, as a welcoming gift from my friends from Anonymous Scandinavia, said so I brought in a um, a bottle of uh, bullet bullet bourbon, and I had a couple of shots when I was drinking, and that made it on right. that that made it on the videotape. So if they're getting me, I'm just a comic, you know what I mean? I don't know anything about any of this stuff, and getting, that's bad enough. But to get the lawyers and get the journalists. Uh, Stefania Moritz yeah, yeah, and, 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 yeah. and Jennifer Robinson, all these people, Renata Villa, all the... Margaret Ratner-Kunser was in there, so they got all of these people on videotape. This is disgusting uh, and it's totally illegal and it's grounds for a complete dismissal of these charges.
5: Yes, yes. This is a lot, a lot more serious than the, just the, the big brother experiment that was going on there. Um they breach the lawyer-client uh, privilege of of secrecy. Um, they also film his meeting with his doctors. Ah. They stole information from his lawyers. Uh, I mean, not only documents, but they were they were sucking the information from the electronic devices that everybody needed to to leave at the desk with the security guard. So yes, and and the very same company, you know, that was uh, supposedly uh, protecting uh, uh, President Correa's family in Europe uh, after he left uh, Ecuador, uh, and now it's evident that they were spying on him as well. They were they were writing reports. In English, about him and his meetings. So, the dark side speaks English. You have to just join the Lord.
0: Wow, yeah? that's a, that's a, that's very well said. Um, so, uh, let's uh, we got a few minutes left. I want to ask you this: this transition from Korea uh, to Linda Moreno must have made your life as a diplomat uh, for Ecuador uh, very difficult.
5: Well, yeah, that's. uh, I think it's surreal what went on in my country with that betrayal, complete betrayal. Betrayal of voters, betrayal for democracy. Um, You don't win the the election on on certain platforms, and next day you decide that you will implement the policies of of the opposition um, and start persecuting your own comrades, your own colleagues, the well, he, ones who put you there.
0: He's he's become um, like, he's become like, uh, you know, like a Somoza type or a Batista type or a Trujillo type. He's totally flipped and in the hands uh, as a puppet of the U.S. government. That's how he looks. Does he have any shame at all? Moreno?
5: I don't think he does. I don't think he does. So, it's, it's I think it's easy for him. Nothing. <laughs> He doesn't have any. It's it's absolutely incredible. And what he's done to Julian is cruel. Yeah. It's absolutely cruel.
0: It's a crime. It's a crime that, is what yeah. it is. Well it is a crime because you
5: cannot you cannot hand over a political refugee who you are protecting. He has put his trust on you to protect his life. And suddenly, you start plotting with the persecutors in order to hand him over. And because, as you say, it's a crime, is in complete breach of every single um, legislation, international legislation and domestic legislation on refugee, on political asylum, um, And it's a huge historical shame that will be there forever for my country. Yes,
0: Bolivar and...
5: in, in, In order to try to avoid that, the last year at the embassy for Julian was hell. Because what they tried to do is to force him out at his own accord. They tried to break him down. They isolated him and the uncommunicated the un- him they cut the internet from him they installed, uh special equipment to block telephone signals which are harmful uh, for your health and they uh, ban him visitors
0: mm-hmm.
5: and that went on for seven eight months yeah Obviously, they could not break him down.
0: He's a resilient uh, man, a resilient they, individual, and, resourceful. And, and
5: then they, they, they coordinated the the handing over, which well, was kind of kidnapping. Well, basically, because but at the time Julian Duard's already Ecuadorian. He was in his embassy. He rightly refused to come out, and they had to drag, drag him. Uh, drag they drag him out. I post.
0: Were you there? You weren't so there. Is, yeah. is it fine? Yeah, it def- no, no.
5: I, I was not there. I left the embassy a year before. Yeah, with the change of government, I stayed for for the first bit, um, but then I was not suitable anymore for them because yeah. I, I was protecting Julian. Yeah, and, and I was very uncomfortable with the new policies.
0: Well, that must have been so a real
5: rid of me and they changed. most most of the of the diplomats were, yeah, were replaced.
0: It yep. must it must have been a big blow for you to leave and uh, seeing one of his most um, um, ardent supporters uh, being uh, let go from uh, the embassy that uh, was he wasn't talking yes. yeah. yeah well, uh, yes. Fidel uh, Navarrez, um, uh, we're going to have you back on very soon. Uh, we have a couple of uh, MPs from uh, Germany joining us in a minute. and i it was really a pleasure. Uh, to be around you uh, for 3 days you're you're a real credit to the human race and a credit uh to the cause of free speech and certainly um you know you have been a real true friend of Julian Assange everyone should have a friend my
5: pleasure like Randy. my pleasure and, and and thank you thank you for supporting the good causes all right thank you
0: thank you very much mi amigo uh nos vemos in mayo mayo <laughs> They say Mayo in Argentina, okay? Mucho gusto, Mayo, Mayo, Fidel, Thank you. Fidel. All right, gracias, Fidel. All right, uh, we're going to take a, a quick break. This is Randy Credico live on the fly. Uh, we'll take a, a quick uh, musical break and we'll be back uh, with a uh, MP from uh, Germany.
6: Oh, it's a. Love. i
0: Okay, that was the great, the great Lottalena. We have one more by her, uh, another version of Mac the Knife uh, from Three Penny Opera. Uh, I'm Randy Credico. This is a Live on the Fly uh, countdown to freedom, Assange countdown to freedom in cooperation with the good folks at Covert Action Magazine with a lot of help from my good friend, Friends from Anonymous Scandinavia. We are now being joined by someone I met in the gallery uh, at Belmores Prison uh, watching this trial. And what a ball of energy. And uh, what a a great person. I really enjoyed uh, being around uh, Savim Dargdelen. Dargdelen. She is a member since 2005 – of the uh, German uh, Parliament. She's an MP there, and she uh, joins us right now from Berlin. How are you, young lady?
7: Hi, Randy. I'm fine, thank you. How are
0: you? I can see that laugh. You know I was so I was so pleased to because I was sitting by a couple of uh, people that I didn't know that were kind of crazy. most of the people were great <laughs> it, they they were there was somebody there that was really nuts that got bounced out. but then I got to sit next to you and you gave me a lot of energy. so uh, did you stay for the entire uh, affair there? Yeah,
7: that uh, the entire. A uh, hearing um, I attended with my uh, colleague and friend Heidi Angel, she is an MP as well. We've been last time uh, visiting Julian Assange in the Ecuadorian embassy in December 2018, and actually on the day he was arrested in April last year, 2019, I was on the way to London to meet him again. I had the permission of the Ecuadorian embassy to see him. So... Heike and me, we are very close in this case, and we're doing a lot of stuff in Germany for the solidarity with Julian, but not only Julian, it's the same with um, Edward Snowden or Chelsea Manning.
0: Well, your party has been a breath of fresh air. I wish we had a Democratic Party that's like the new left party in the uh, German parliament. Uh, You first met Julian, one of the first, I think, way back in September 2012?
7: Yes, I um, I was in uh, holidays. Uh, it was summer 2012 when he was seeking or asking for asylum in the Ecuadorian embassy in London, and it was you know it was like a witch hunt by the U.S. by Sweden by a United Kingdom, and um, and I thought uh, this is uh, wrong because uh, although. Uh, all uh, what WikiLeaks and Julian and all the others have done is just telling the truth, telling the truth about dirty lies, about war and uh, torture, about Guantanamo, uh, the war crimes of the U.S. Army in Afghanistan. And in Iraq, they just opened the eyes of so many people about this lies of uh, policymakers uh, when they talk about... Um, clean wars uh, uh, and uh, surgery wars, like that they are clean and no damages and so on, no civilians were killed. So they opened the light And I think uh, they have done a really great job for peace and uh, for for diplomacy. And that's why I wanted to, yeah, be in solidarity with him. And then I started this campaign that uh, members of parliament, of national parliaments in Europe and uh, of European Parliament will show up there in the embassy side-by-side um, side with Julian to show solidarity, that he's not alone, that he has got political support.
0: Well, you've been wonderful uh, over the years. What was that like, that first meeting uh, in September 2012, when you sat down with Julian?
7: Oh, my God. I I it's so long ago now, uh, but uh, still, I remember how much impressed I was to see such a gentle and intellectual person. And he was not just, you know, in one area, intellectual. He did know so many things about so many issues. I was really absolutely touched and impressed by his intellect and his, his, confidence self-confidence and his hope that he can change something in telling the truth and uh, and since then I'm uh, I'm um, yeah I'm a supporter
0: so uh, you know you you like with the war logs and all of that in general uh, what is your assessment of the uh, the work that WikiLeaks has produced over the last decade?
7: Well, you know, they have done a lot uh, uh, for for peace in, in the world. And uh, the philosophy, the, the philosophy, the deep philosophy of Nikolai, I'm absolutely supporting because, um, you know, secrets are the opposite of democracy. Secrets are, you know, they are enemies of democracy. We need transparency. Uh, Governments. Uh, intelligence services, they don't have the right to make propaganda and, uh, you know, spread lies about their they're doing. And they do not have the right to do war crimes and then just cover it up. And uh, that's why we, as uh, members of the German parliament, and we are allowed to do as uh, parliamentarians, we just... Um, nominated Julian Assange Chelsea Manning and Edward Snowden for the 2020 Nobel Peace Prize in honor of their unparalleled contributions to the pursuit of peace and their immense really immense personal sacrifice to promote peace for all of the people and uh, that I think is the, is the philosophy uh, behind WikiLeaks.
0: I want to talk about this um, letter that I got from you. I, I, it's signed by uh, at least a hundred uh, different intellectuals, uh, politicians, uh, scientists, uh, and uh, celebrities. Uh, tell us uh, a little bit about that.
7: Well, it was um, it was last year, and uh, last year in um, when when well when when he was arrested, uh, Julian was arras- arrested. Uh, we started to think what can we what can can be done to help them. And one thing was I invited John Shipton, his father, the father of Student Assange to Berlin. We made a press conference, we did, you know, a campaign here, having meetings and all this stuff. And then I uh, we made in the Bundestag in the German parliament we made a hearing a public hearing with hundreds of people and uh we had a sculpture we just uh presented by the by the Italian artist Davide Domino uh right in front of the US American embassy at the Brandenburg Gate in Berlin in the heart of Berlin and this uh sculpture is you know they are four chairs one of them uh in bronze everything in 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 original um original, uh, uh, Julian Assange, uh, Chelsea Manning, as uh, Bradley Manning, and uh, Snowden are staying on these chairs, and one chair is free, and the sculpture is uh, uh, titled with anything to say to stand up for truth and for this person, and after this uh, presentation uh, in front of the U.S. Embassy, we had this public hearing in the German Bundestag with the. UN, United Nations special repertor, um, Nils Melser, John Shipton, and Kristen Hafton, the chief editor of Wikileaks, and some other journalists, very important persons in Germany. And after that, we had um, we had a meeting at the University in Cologne with John Shipton and me about this case. And after that, we met uh, Günther He he's an investigative journalist, a very well-known author, and we talked to him and asked him for help to do something, uh, if we can do something for Julian. And then we started uh, this appeal. And this appeal is an appeal we presented on 6th February in the German uh, press conference in Berlin, where over 100 celebrities from politics, science, culture, and in media signed it. And more than 50,000 50, 50, people Uh, supported it very immediately and uh, we we said we want to release uh, we we asked uh, UK to release Julian Assange from prison because we are deeply concerned for the life of journalists and WikiLeaks founded WikiLeaks and uh, Julian Assange and um, because of health reasons but also because of the reasons of rule of law because as you have seen with me together in London at the at the Woolwich Crown Court, there there is no rule of law at all in this hearing and in this trial hearing. So
0: it was a farce, a, think, a complete yeah. farce, a charade, a yeah. show trial. What a joke that was! I mean, it wasn't funny, but to sit there and watch—what well, I mean—what did you think of what they were doing? The judge, of the judge and the prosecutors.
7: That was just- and yeah, i mean i was uh, it uh, it was outraged and and i i was appellate because of this judge this conditions as you have seen uh, i mean in the morning uh, you had to get up very early in the morning i never stay slept there in in the front of the gate, uh, yes i mean i had i spent five nights in London and altogether i just slept twenty five hours well, i counted well that's 25 a lot hours in five nights, <laughs> You think, (laughs) well, I think (laughs) I deserve more. But the thing is, you know, I have uh, been uh, observer, parliamentary observer of trials in many, many countries Uh, for the last 15 years I'm doing this job. And I've never seen such a thing like in London, never, ever, that, you know, uh, parliamentarians or even the uh, observers from embassies, like the guy from the German embassy or journalists, they don't care. Uh, You have to stand up very early, be half past five in the morning Uh at the gate, waiting for the court opening, uh, waiting again in front of the public gallery, always, and for a raw seat. You know, we we had this public gallery with 24 seats, six reserved for the family members, and just 18 for so many uh, wanted uh, interested uh, uh, personalities I mean this case is a case of not national it's a case of international interests uh, so many people are concerned about press freedom about democracy about our freedom um, and Bill of Rights and, and 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 they have to consider this they have to consider this and um, even the right of Julian Assange, Julian was, you know, sitting in the dark, just in the back of the court, uh, and uh, this judge, she even started the hearing so often, uh, uh, although Julian was not even in the courtroom yet. Right. You know, she you, was... how can you, how can you say this is a fair trial?
0: Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, Craig Murray said it was like a, a, a show trial in. Um, in Moscow, yeah, in 1938. And I got to tell you something. I didn't sleep. The only time I slept is when the prosecution was talking because they put me right to sleep. They said the same thing over and over again. It was repetitive and incoherent. So I, w- I would doze then. That was the only time I could get some sleep. I didn't want to hear it anyway because it was all lies. Listen, uh, um, so we have a minute yeah, left but, but here. But you
7: know what, the judge, I just, I just accounted yesterday in the morning— she just interrupted once, once the prosecutor, and 17 times the defense.
0: Right. That's not fair she, at all. She should have been ruling uh, behind the uh, prosecution's table. That's where she uh, belonged because she certainly acted like she was a <laughs> the prosecutor. There was, I mean, to, to call yourself a judge. Um, listen, you do, you're doing great work. Any final thoughts? We have a minute left here. Any final thoughts?
7: Uh, thoughts are. It's The case about Julian Assange is not a case about himself. It's the case of our freedom in protecting and defending his freedom is defending freedom itself. And that's why I'm asking everyone who is peace-loving, uh, uh, peace-loving humans, I'm asking to help Julian Assange to get free.
0: Well, you and your colleague uh, that was there the other day, thank you uh, for, for showing up and for your 14 years, your unflagging, indefatigable uh, work and commitment in trying to uh, get some justice for Julian Thank Assange. You. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll see you in May, I hope. Thank you. All right. Don't, yeah. Hopefully, gonna, I'll be there. <laughs> okay. We're going to play a little song to take you off by Marlena Dietrich, I think. Is that what it is? Yes. Merci Here we go. Listen, Merci. You, listen for one second, and then we'll talk to you later on today. All right. Und
6: der Eifisch, der hat Zähne.
8: Man hat uns nicht gefragt, als wir noch kein Gesicht, ob wir leben wollten oder lieber nicht. Jetzt gehe ich allein durch eine große Stadt und ich weiß nicht, ob sie mich lieb hat. Ich schaue in die Stuben durch Tür und Fensterglas und ich warte und ich warte auf etwas, wenn ich mir was wünschen dürfte in Verlegenheit, was ich mir denn wünschen sollte, eine schlimme oder gute Zeit. Wenn ich mir was wünschen dürfte, möchte ich etwas glücklich sein. Denn wenn ich gar zu glücklich wäre, hätte ich ein Weh nach dem Traurig.
0: Uh, That was uh, Marlena Dietrich. I don't know the name of the tune, uh, but it sounded pretty good to me. We have back-to-back citizens of Germany on uh, this show, and that was the interstitial music. And joining us right now here on Live on the Fly, Assange Countdown to Freedom, was another individual I met uh, in the uh, gallery at the – I didn't even call it a trial. There's this farce that took place at Belmarsh Prison. It was a complete farce. It was a charade, you know. And uh, sitting uh, next to me uh, was uh, this wonderful person by the name of Angela Richter, who's been a friend of Julian Assange for, I guess, about ten years. Welcome, uh, Angela. Angela is a is a film director, a stage uh, director and uh, a very close, a writer, uh, and a very close friend of Julian Assange. So welcome to the show, Angela.
9: Hello, Randy. Hi.
0: It's great to have you here, um, and it was great seeing you uh, in uh, in London. In spite of the difficult circumstances, um, I'm reading this uh, book called In Defense of Julian Assange, and you have a very mm-hmm. moving... Uh, compelling, um, I guess, essay or story that you tell here. Uh, you last mm-hmm. saw him, Julian, I believe, uh, just before Christmas, 2018. Uh, for those who don't have the book, can you can you just take us that day that you were there mm-hmm. uh, that you, you um, uh, recap in this uh, in this wonderful essay in, in defense of Assange? Mm-hmm. Can you kind of describe for people who have not read this book? Uh, take us through mm-hmm. that that day?
9: Yes. Um, as you can imagine, I was very excited because I didn't see Julian for I think at least a year because he was also isolated. Um, many people know that maybe, but I don't know. He was isolated for um, at least I think nine months or something in the embassy. So he was not uh, allowed to have visitors. He was caught off. Uh, uh, he didn't have internet access and so on. So when I saw him it was he really had a difficult time behind him and i was really excited as i didn't see him so long and actually when i came to the embassy it seemed to me rather that he was a prisoner than someone who is enjoying asylum because um they took away his bed um the heating was not working and it was in london around christmas so it was rather cold and he was sitting there in a down jacket and yeah it 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 was a very hostile atmosphere and i must admit i was really shocked when i experienced this and also it was the first time that i had the feeling that it really took a toll on him because i was visiting him for the course of the seven years that he was there i met him actually just right before he, a year before he entered the embassy, and then I was visiting him actually every three or four months on a regular basis. So, and he was always holding up very great. I think he was um, very strong and and fighting still from the embassy. And and but the last time I saw him, I could really see that that it took a toll on him. That they put him in isolation, and also he was very. Affa- aware of the fact that he will be taken out of the embassy very soon. And this also happened, like, I would say four months later, I think, in April. Yeah, around four months later, he was dragged out of the embassy.
0: It must have been difficult for you to see that. You first, um, I mean, you've known him for a long time, um, and Mm. uh, there's a a lot of um, disinformation about Julian Assange, the person, who, to mm-hmm. you, tell us about your knowledge, your, your, your own personal experience, uh, knowing Julian Assange. Uh, for the people out there who don't know what he's really mm-hmm. like, give us, give us some of the uh, details of uh, what you uh, encountered over those years.
9: Yes. I, you know what? I encountered someone who is very diff- different from what you read about him in the press. Um, I uh, encountered a person that is very intelligent, very ethical, I would say, and very friendly. I mean, he was also very funny, you know. We used to sit sometimes and just watch stuff on YouTube and, you know, he was... And we would laugh about stuff, you know, and we were watching football games together and stuff like that, you know, normal stuff. And and I thought he was always very friendly, funny guy and also highly intelligent Uh, if I would describe him, I'd say, you know, what we, well, he shared his knowledge and his food with me, you know, we used to (laughs) sit there and eat, and he would always offer me some food when he had something, but I was, of course, also bringing some, and I think that he's a, a very unusual character, you know, it's, it's maybe not that he gets easily close to people, but I, I can't blame him because, in his situation, you know, he got also betrayed by many people. Because, as you might have realized, that most of the people who don't like him made a career out of it, you know. <laughs> they um, they uh, published books, smearing him, and so on. So, most of the people who like him and think that he's a nice person, including me, uh, we didn't cash in on that. No. And also, it doesn't interest anything anybody, you know, because it's not interesting to say, oh, you know, he's a very nice guy, very polite, and, and likes to share his food, you know. People like to hear that he's a narcissist, and so on and so on. You, you, re- I don't want to repeat all the smears, but, you know, for me, he became a very dear friend, and I must admit that it breaks my heart to see him now... Um, in Belmarsh, and and yeah, we were there together. Andy, you saw it too, like sitting behind this um, in this glass cage and being treated like like he was a war criminal instead of uh, the people that he exposed.
0: Yeah, it's just it's just amazing that he um, was not allowed to sit with his lawyers, uh, mm-hmm. and almost every ruling by that judge went against him. And he's sitting in that bulletproof cage. That's what it was. And it, mm. it was very, very difficult uh, to watch. Um, I, I mean, if someone who's known him as long as you have, and he's become such a close friend. What, what was your feeling watching that over the three days you were there?
9: Well, it was very painful, I must say. You know, it's, it's, it's like you see someone you know, and I know that he's a very, very strong character, and he never gave up. And, you know, uh, when he when he entered this glass cage, he was even holding up his fist, you know, but still when I see his eyes and I know him, you know, I can see that he is really in a very difficult state of mind and who wouldn't be, you know, I mean, he's been now in his isolation for no no reason that you can uh, say would happen in a civilized society, you know, and and uh, the treatment the harsh treatment the conditions under which he is held is just in, in- incredible you know and um, i think it's 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 horrifying to imagine that this is uh, happening in the middle of europe and you know when i compared you know i'm i'm i was born and raised in germany but i'm f- originally from former yugoslavia i'm croatian and and when i remember you know when when all those war criminals <coughs> the butchers from yugoslavia like milosevic and karadzic and all these really horrible people who committed war crimes and are mass murderers they were treated better in in Den Haag at the trial they could sit there not behind glass they could talk to their lawyers and so on and also um, Augusto Pinochet you know the dictator from Chile he was treated much better for, in Britain and she, he was not extradited in the end he lived in a villa and not in Belmarsh so for me it's I can't believe it, you know, and as I know him, when I see Julian sitting there, it breaks my heart, you know, and he was trying to communicate with his lawyers, and so on. And it's just, it was very difficult to see that I must say, you know, sometimes you just I had the impulse to just stand up and shout, you know, and and, and just say how outrageous this is. Yeah. But I didn't do it because I, you know, in the end, you don't know if if you make more damage to him in that moment. They mm. might have maybe forbidden people to be on the gallery and so on. So, yeah, one feels very ha- helpless in that situation.
0: It was really extraordinary. You bring up uh, Pinochet, who committed uh... Uh, Crimes Against Humanity, and uh, the Spanish Judge uh, 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 Garzon uh, tried to get him extradited to Spain to face justice, and he was put in this beautiful mansion like a Hollywood mansion and didn't have to wear an ankle bracelet. And the guy – here's a guy who's committed a massive amount of murders of civilians – uh, and mm-hmm. you look at Nuremberg. I see. If you take a look at at the defendants at Nuremberg, they got to be next to their lawyers. They weren't in cages. Mm-hmm. So uh, just to look at the the uh, the different pictures, the way he was treated this mm-hmm. entire week after this isolation and being in this horrible fortress. You know, Rudolf mm-hmm. Hess lived in better conditions at Spandau than this guy did mm-hmm. at at, uh, at uh, for the last nine months. Ten months mm-hmm. so i know how difficult it is um, now he is a resilient individual but you know you can only go so far and he is an mm-hmm. inspiring uh individual um in fact he's inspired some of your stage works can you tell us about that
9: mm-hmm. yes uh, my first play i did about him i did all in all i did three plays that he was uh, involved in and the first one um was called Assassinate Assange. Now, in hindsight, it, it seems very uh, fitting, unfortunately. He liked that title, by the way, because yeah, it, it was very fitting. I was an, actually inspired, if I could say inspired even, by uh, a lot of American politicians and public figures calling for him to be killed, you know, including Hillary Clinton, who, who said he should be bring da- brought down by a, by a drone, you know. So, yeah, and I, I, I made a play up, uh, based on interviews uh, that I did with him, this first play. And by the way, I also included the police protocols of the so-called rape case in Sweden because I really wanted to show what happened there. And I just I even used the protocols that the police put out, and some of uh, of them are not even accurate, but even those protocols that were, as we know today, um, manipulated by the police to construct this case against them, even those protocols don't sound like something you could even compare to rape, you know, yeah. it's it's grotesque. So I made this first play. And later, uh, as we continued to work together, I made a second part that was called Reloaded, <laughs> Assassinate Assange. And then later, I made a huge project, a transmedia project with him, but also with Edward Snowden. I visited Snowden in Moscow three times. And uh, I also met Daniel Ellsberg, the famous Pentagon uh, Papers whistleblower. And so I I made a huge transmedia play, including uh, uh, different whistleblowers and also uh, Julian Assange, who is a publisher, but who um, enables um, whistleblowers to stay anonymous and publish secret documents. So, yeah, he was part of that, too.
0: Well, I uh, really appreciate all of the work that you've done and your outspokenness uh, and your grit. Mm -hmm. You know, you've been doing this for a long time, uh, and you've been a great supporter of Julian. I I just got a few uh, minutes left. Uh, I wanted to uh, Mm -hmm. just get your final thoughts uh, before we uh, take a break here and go to our closing.
9: Yes. Um the thing is i I uh, would say that he's even someone who who really encouraged me to do many things that i didn't even think that I was capable of he's not the typical male who just is patronizing to women. He is someone who encouraged me to start writing and and I became a journalist, not only a theater director but i'm really writing on a regular basis and I must say it's because of Julian, you know he was really, really encouraging me and it's was someone who was very supportive, and so I could could say he's the opposite of a sexist, you know. He was really always taking me serious and all women around him.
0: Well, I hear that a lot, and um, I want to thank you. Keep up the good work. How do people find you online?
9: Um, Yes, I have a Twitter account, uh, Angela Richter, and I also have an Instagram account, and when you Google my name, I think you can find it yes. automatically.
0: <laughs> oh, it goes on for a thousand pages. Angela Richter, thank you very much for being part of it. We're going to have you back because we have a lot to talk about, but we have had a lot of people today and we still have a little more to do. Uh, and we're going to take, yes. take you out with a little lot of lenya and uh, an original version of Mac the Knife. So you can okay. just sit back and listen.
9: Thank you. Bye-bye. All bye right. Bye. Thank
0: you very much, Angela.
6: Thank you very much.
0: Okay, that was Lottalena from uh, the original uh, version of Mac and I from Three Penny Opera, I think, 1933, uh, Bert's Holbrecht and uh, Kurt Weill. Um, so, there's, by the way, i got to mention this before I forget. Every Thursday still at Grand Central Station, 430, uh, there is a vigil inside Grand Central, 430 to 530 at Grand Central by the clock at the information desk. All right, so this has been a long show. It really has been, and uh, it's been uh, not easy for me today because there were so many guests. I I really missed my co-host, and that was Aaron Matte, but I know he was caught up in another breaking story, uh, but we got him right now. Aaron, thank you for uh, being part of this today.
2: I'm sorry I couldn't be there in person, Randy, and it's, I'm looking forward to listening back to the whole show. All
0: right. Well, uh, you better have a lot of time on your hand. It's like Nicholas Nickleby. Um, so, uh, Aaron, uh, I just got back. Um, you know, there was coverage uh, in Europe uh, after the first day kind of subsided. Um, I don't know what was happening here. Give us uh, your assessment. Uh, what did you? Uh, what was your read on the, uh, the week of the Assange extradition hearing?
2: Well, I'm really inspired by the uh, small group of brave journalists who went over there to cover it. Um, You were among a group that includes Kevin Costola of Shadowproof. But other than that, the U.S. coverage of the hearing was pretty small. Um, I didn't see very much coverage, if at all, in the major papers. And even adversarial progressive sites have, have ignored it, too. So, for example, Nobody from The Intercept is there covering it. Democracy Now! didn't do a segment on it. And it's disappointing given how much all of us have relied on the work that Assange has done. No one has done more to expose the crimes and corruption of the U.S. government than him. And not just have we benefited from his work, but also the case that is targeting him is a threat to the very essence of the work we all do. It's a, very, it's a threat to the core press freedom. So it's disheartening to see the indifference uh, that his case is, uh, is being greeted with right now. But it's also hardening to see those of you who made the effort to go there and be there to support him.
0: Well, the Gray Zone News has uh, been there and it has been on top of this. Gray Zone News, the Gray Zone News. Uh, you can get that uh, at Twitter and online. Uh, uh, any uh, other thoughts about the mainstream media basically looking the other way here? Aaron?
2: Well, just, you know, it's such an extraordinary uh, story, and, you know, there was so much to cover this week. All the revelations that came out from the hearing, for example, you know, this this allegation that is constantly used against Assange, that he endangered uh, people who are named inside the cables that were released. Uh, The Assange team even presented evidence that that's not true, and that those who endangered uh, civilians or informants who are named in... U.S. cables were, in fact, members of the very media that have been attacking and sliming George Assange, namely David Lee and Luke Guardian and Luke Harding of The Guardian, because it was them who published um, access to a password that contained the names. But yet, all these revelations just get ignored. And I, I don't know what it's going to take to get people to wake up to realize just what what a big story this is. And if the Trump administration succeeds, what a huge threat it is to the work that all of us do.
0: Yeah. Well, you do incredible work. And so does Max. And so does uh, uh, Anya and, and uh, ben, uh, ben Norton uh, from the gray zone. This Kevin did some tremendous work this week. Uh, I'm glad he was there for you guys. Um, and we got to go because we're at the end of the show. Uh, any last thoughts before we uh, jam?
2: Well, Randy, thank you for staying on the story. I know you're tired from a lot of trouble. I hope you get some rest now and recover so we can, because we're all relying on you to bring us a story that everybody else is missing.
0: All right. Thank you very much. Aaron Maté of the Gray Zone News. Thank you, Aaron. And uh, hopefully we'll see you next week. And uh, that that just about wraps it up, folks. I want to thank uh, nycpodcasting.com, uh, Frank McKay, the engineer producer of this show. Uh, I want to thank Eric uh, and Ralph and everybody here, nycpodcasting.com. You guys are really wonderful people to work with. Uh, and I want to thank Anonymous Scandinavia and Covert Action Magazine and everybody out there. We'll see you next week, folks. This is from a movie called... Gold Diggers of 1933, it's called Forgotten Man, uh, My Forgotten Man, and it uh, is by Joan Blondell and, um, I forgot, uh, Emmy Button, something like that, uh, a great singer, and this is really uh, a classic post-World War I anti-war song. See you next week, folks. Thank you very much.
10: Remember My Forgotten Man? You put a rifle in his hand you sent him far away you shouted hip hooray but look at him today remember my forgotten man you had him cultivate the land He walked behind a plough, the sweat fell from his brow, but look at him right now. And once he used to love me, I was happy then. He used to take care of me, won't you bring him back again? ever since the world began, a woman's got to have a man. Forgetting him, you see, means you're forgetting me. Like my, my forgotten man.